0: Hi, team. Oliver here. Great to be back. Been catching up on recordings from the last few weeks of sickness. Looking forward to sharing more, and we have some great interviews in the pipe. Today's interview is a excellent one from Horace, talking about the origins of the thesis that micromobility would be disruptive, and then we talk through what he thought would happen and what we've seen in the last few years. All up, a great review. In the news this week, a few interesting developments. Lime is reimagining itself as the mobility as a service platform for micromobility. This winter, the Lime app will start allowing users in select cities to find and rent vehicles from third party operators, beginning with pedal free e-bikes from wheels. Lime already has the largest reach of any shared micromobility operator in the world. By aggregating more types of LEVs onto its platform, by aggregating more types of light electric vehicles onto its platform, the company hopes to become a one-stop shop for anybody looking to take a car for a trip under five miles, according to their CEO, Wayne Tang. In theory, it sounds nice, but it's also an open question how effective this is going to be without transit and ride hail, also included for short trips. We'll keep an eye out. Vancouver is starting to reallocate road space to more accurately reflect modal share of travel done in its city. It's already one of the most multimodal cities in North America with 9% of trips by bike, 27% by walking, and 18% on transit for a total of 54% mode share. Yet they only have 19% of road space allocated to these modes, whereas 81% of the road is for cars, including 24% of road space for car parking. Their Climate Emergency Action Plan is looking at ways to actively reallocate this public space to better support sustainable modes. Expect this to become a far more common occurrence as more cities start to respond to climate change. And with that, here's Horace. Welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, Horace you? How are you today, Horace?
1: I'm doing fine, fine. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, it's been, uh, uh yeah, it's been, a. Uh, um, difficult as you know you know period in time in life and in, in in our um, in our civilization but uh, yeah but I think we're we're I think we're gonna make it so um, I've always been well, optimistic that's nice
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have I was I, I remember having a conversation with you in March and I, I was a little bit of a Debbie Downer thinking things were getting pretty bad uh, and you were always you were always an optimist you, um, excellent Well, look I, I, I the part that uh, i really wanted to pick up on uh today was for us to go back we've done a couple of these episodes in the past where we've done a hey why what is micromobility and why does it matter and why you should pay attention to it and i and i feel a little bit like you know we're now two and a bit years into doing this podcast um we've obviously had a number of um discussions about this and and you know uh we've now had a couple of conferences and we've We've evolved a lot in terms of the vehicles that are available and the sales that we're seeing. And what I wanted to do is actually go back to the start and have you kind of explain to us again the thesis around why micromobility was important, why you saw it as being interesting, um, why it fit the criteria that you were looking for, and then what we've learned in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know i i feel like you know if you just start off and oh will intersperse where i right right well this
1: this is a good question following up on our previous podcast which is sort of about about uh heavy micromobility because when i got involved with with micromobility wasn't just like i came from doing analysis of the phone industry and just popped into my head like we should we should be looking at bicycles or 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 uh um, you know, motorized scooters or whatnot. Um, th- this came <clears throat> via the, the, my, my analysis or thinking about the auto industry, and I was interested in the auto industry because I wanted to be able to use the theory of disruption which was something I was at the time was, I was steeped in because I was working at the Clayton Christensen Institute. I wanted to look at the theory of disruption and what we had learned from the phone industry, from the entertainment industry, from the communications industries, which were, you know, which was my life to that that point in time. And to see if we, what the learning uh, there could be applied to places where disruption had not occurred or not occurred in a way that um, would allow us to foresee how the world is is going to change, and the important areas that I wanted to see change were transportation and energy. Clay at the time was keen on also studying the uh, education, uh, um, not industry, but the you know the field of of uh, of how we how we teach, and secondly uh, in healthcare. So those are the the. Two big areas, and later on uh, with uh, FOSA, uh, he tackled um, you, you know emerging markets and the process of wealth creation for for nations that are underprivileged. And so, if you think about these these areas of research, right? So, I, I, you know, three that Clay took on, and two that I was interested in, which is energy and and transportation. I mean, this is this, this is. These are the biggest problems in the world today, right? Because from the energy point of view, the healthcare point of view, the education point of view, the poverty point of view, these are big, big problems, and this is what you do in a think tank. Mm-hmm. So I was really studying. I wanted to, to to look at the at these two and and apply what we have learned and see if we can make predictions. And so I began looking at the auto industry because, again, that's the that's like the top of the pyramid of the transportation problem in general, and not not to forget that. Transportation and energy are are joined at the hip. As far as um, you know, through pol- the policy in one determines the other, and and so you, you, if if you look at the you know environmental questions in general, which are you know a, a bigger you know a, a bigger point a taller point of view, if you will, uh, uh, that would. Allow you to, you know, you, you, if you solve the problem for for uh, transportation, you might solve mo- much of the problem for the energy sector and you might solve mm. much of the problem of the, um, uh, of climate change. And so, you know, like these are the biggest, uh, contributors to the problem. And, and you
0: were also, as far as I understand, you, you were also looking at it because you thought Apple was going to get into the space.
1: Partly it, it, it it was a, a secondary thread but it, if if apple and that that began in 2014 i think i started to think about apple and and trans, you know and transport well, yeah you yeah. had the sim car, the, the sim, SIM card car car podcast. podcast which actually may even predate this effort but it was more it was more like a hobby just it, wouldn't it be fun if kind of thinking but it, i started to get more and more serious about how can we solve transportation problems uh, when I was when I was at the institute. Now, uh, so my my so the way you begin this is the theory building process. Now, the way you begin any uh, you know uh, study, any uh, research, any understanding process is by sampling. You just look around you. you. You use anecdotes. You use what is called empirical analysis. You 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 look around and you see. W- you know, you collect data as much as you can about everything you can, and then you look for patterns and you categorize the data. You sort of cluster things and you say, oh, okay, I, you know, I, I think these all belong together and so we'll put those in one problem set and then we'll put another set in, and in, in so on. So the first type of data I was collecting was on the, on the car industry. Like, okay, well, how many cars are there? How many cars are being built? How many cars are being sold? How much do they cost? All the things you can measure about the car were, were things which I was, I was keen on finding, and you know much of it is public because it's been around a hundred years or more, and a lot of it is, is you know their trade associations, their uh, international and national and local um, statistics available, right? People have been measuring the car for years and years, and so it was not hard to obtain the data. Uh, Trying to make it all in one big picture, that was a little tricky because you have, you know, mostly people are looking at local markets. You know, people will will analyze the U.S., but maybe they'll analyze Europe and maybe Japan, but then you have to ask, what what about South America or what, what about um you know indonesia or something like that and those were a little bit more difficult to obtain but eventually i managed to see the entire picture for the car and then you know then that's where i was discussing well how if apple for example were to enter this market how many cars would they have to make how you know how quickly can we turn over the fleet of global cars that that's 1.2 billion cars how Mm -hmm. You know, how quickly can new technologies diffuse into this market? And this was the critical question. Remember also at the time I had done over 140 analyses of diffusion curves, is how quickly technologies are adopted and how quickly things change. That was a critical element because, again, overriding the question of, of, um, uh, of transportation and energy was how quickly can we fix things because the energy a deadline if you will the 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 environmental deadlines the carbon issues and all these other things you know they we 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 were facing a we are facing a particular deadline and so if you step back and you understood the car markets you know taking 70 years to develop and and if you looked at certain technologies infrastructural technologies taking 50 years or more to to you know switch from one uh, uh modality or one uh, paradigm to another, you, you then become very nervous is okay wait a minute, we have a problem with timing and this is this was crucial to my analysis. Now when I looked at the potential candidates that exist and th- these are electric drive, uh, shared or in other words, you know ownership model okay of, of the vehicle, um, and uh, autonomy, which is effectively taking the driver out of the picture and thus making the, the machine a robot, um, and then there was a fourth, which is connectivity, which is I I think really across all of these, uh, you, you know, connectivity is not particularly the driver; uh, it's an enabler. But those were the three primary candidates that were put forward by technologists, by analysts, by policymakers are saying, well, maybe this, in in those three is our salvation can we get cars to be electric can we get them to be shared and therefore fewer of them and finally can we get them to be autonomous and therefore actually changing the business of transportation altogether and you know many people well, promised I, I was
0: a i was a very uh, i remember listening to this and that's why I went and joined uber because i thought i thought that's where we were going to go
1: they yeah. That Uber yeah was gonna be the totally no to that out. There, yeah. clay and 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 his team we, we dove into the sharing thing as the most the most promising candidate because um, so, so just to step back a moment it's of those three, there were you know I w- it was pretty clear that electric drive was sustaining technologies, meaning that it would make the car industry better. Uh, it would make cars better. It would make cars more fun. It would it would make cars more reliable. It would make cars more more uh, uh, you know acceptable in society. All these good things. There was nothing could say anything negative about uh, about the uh, electric car. Um, except that it would be expensive in the beginning. And all of these, even that being expensive part, were definitions of sustainability. Um, And and So the the way I paraphrase the question is like, well, if you want disruption, meaning a complete change in the industry, who is, that that is, who is the industry? You know, if you've got the big automakers and you've got hundreds of uh, factories, you've got, you know, distributors in the form of dealers, if you want to really change all that, change the number of cars in the world Uh, Mm -hmm. sustaining is not the answer that's just making it better that means it's going to make everybody stronger and and those incumbents are going to be more entrenched and it doesn't mean it's a bad thing necessarily 80 percent of all innovations maybe even more this is just i'm using a rule of thumb the 80 20 rule almost everything you see that someone says eureka i've got a better idea is a sustaining improvement. Sustaining is, is the normative thing to do. It is what the world expects of you. It is what what uh, the world embraces. Disruptive means, no, I don't like this innovation. Disruptive means, you've made it worse, is the response to a disruptive innovation. And whether you talk about Amazon, the internet, The mobile phone, the personal computer, the original automobile, all of these were perceived exactly that way. These were worse than what was around at the time, and worse in terms of some measure of performance. Again, in retrospect, it looks like, what the hell are you talking about? This is better. But at the time, we defined performance along different dimensions. And if you you look at a car versus a train, a train was damn reliable by 1920. It was extremely well established, went everywhere, fairly cheap, accessible to many. It was just an extremely powerful technology that really got the job done. It could carry huge numbers of people, could carry huge numbers of huge amount of cargo, etc. You came in with this thing that broke down and was extremely uh, smelly and noisy and hard to use and, and fragile and dangerous and all these other things. Of course the car was a dumb idea. And if you look at a phone, early, early mobile phones, early cellular phones, as they used to be called, they were very fragile technology compared to the landline. And for decades, people said, "I'm not going to give up my landline for this thing." Um, so yes. that's that's a, that's the normal thing, right? Now, if you if you then ask people today, "Hey, what about an electric car?" There's only one knock against it: it's like, well, it's kind of a little bit tricky to charge it, and I'm a little bit nervous about running out of battery. That's a psychological issue, and it, it you know people will get over it. But fundamentally, boy, is this thing good. I mean, it's great in every way. It's faster, it's it's cleaner, it's quieter, it's calmer, it's lo- less, less vibration. I mean, I, I'm going into the weeds here, but I mean, fundamentally, anybody who tries an electric car, they say, this is awesome. It isn't, yeah. it isn't something that people say, man, this is a real step backwards here, or, wow, I'm going to have to rethink everything about, about transportation. We need a whole new set of roads for it, like you did for cars versus railroads. You had railroads. Why do you want to pave the world when you've got tracks everywhere? That's what we did. We had to build a whole new infrastructure for the car. And Now, we're not asking to, except for putting you know plugs everywhere, which, by the way, we already have electricity everywhere. It's not like we have to dig holes mm-hmm. in the ground and put big tanks of gasoline that could Leak into the ground and, and, and carry gasoline in trucks that are extremely filled with you know dangerous liquids and and potentially pipelines as well and cause you know untold damage in order to deliver the fuel to everyone. We can deliver fuel to everyone much more easily with electric than we can with gasoline. We have to build enormous infrastructure for gasoline. Anyway, I digress. The point I'm, I want to make about the the that as a sustaining technology. So so we're talking. Electric, everyone agreed, 2014, 2013, 2015, all those years, this is better, this is unquestionably better. it's going to cost us some money, which is another, by the way, another thing about sustaining technology, it costs a heck of a lot of money when you look at it and you say, let's do it because it's better. People figure out the ROI on it, you know, they'll say, well, yeah, well, we need battery plants, we need need to, you know, retool a lot of the production, but not completely throw it away, but we're going to have to do it a little bit differently. This is why sustaining electrics was sustaining. Now, let's move to the others. So, the the, uh, the the I mentioned, let's put aside for a moment sharing, and then there's the third was autonomy. There, the problem was mostly a technical analysis on my part. Not the way, let's say, a business analyst would analyze it, but rather a technology analyst or an engineer might look at it. And I just having had a few gray hairs already at the time, I was pretty sure that this would take a lot longer than most young people believed uh and that's because we
0: <laughs> we had what do you mean horace i joined i joined uber in 2015 2016 thinking oh we're going to roll this out in like two years time we're going to do the same <laughs> we're going to do the same level of deployment as we did with uberx right globally move into 100 cities yeah. in the first in the first year and it'll just be one of these things that they're so cheap to measure so that you don't even need to think about it and like, i remember thinking those things
1: right and, and well, and, yeah, well yeah. I, was, I, was I was skeptical, skeptical. I and the reason was okay because you know I remember this when I started it's it's I, I this one thing that sticks in my mind when I started a sim car there was one comment on Twitter like oh Horace started a sim car and I've heard listened to the first episode and I'm not going to listen to any more because after you know here we are in 2014 and he's saying that we we're, he's going to observe the car market and he's not talking about autonomy how can he possibly Talk in 2014 about the future of the car and not talk about autonomy. That was the answer. and People right. were basically saying in 2014, that's six years ago, I was completely missing the boat on autonomy. And I was just, To me, it didn't even enter my mind to talk about it on a SIM card because I just felt that this was a 20-year horizon on this thing. I wasn't going to bet anything on, on autonomy, positive or negative. It just is basically a non-existent idea. Um, and, you know, it may be that the old guys missed the boat, but generally, in this case, I really felt that there was way more enthusiasm about, the, about this being prime time than, than anything I, I was familiar with in terms of what it really takes to adopt a technology. Having the eureka moment, and this is again about the fusion curves, having that moment of invention, having that moment when you say, I've got it, I finally solved this puzzle. The clock isn't yet running. The clock of adoption, which means how long does it take, you know, you imagine a stopwatch. You click on the, the, the stopwatch and then you click off the stopwatch. And the on point, which is when you start climbing up the curve and the off point is when you reach the 100% or saturation. That is the timer. I call it the innovator stopwatch. How long does it take? Mm. From First of all, clicking the on button or, or clicking the start button and then clicking the stop button. How long does that take? stopwatch run and in some cases it's five years and everybody in the world has a mobile phone or everybody in the world has a smartphone in other times it takes 50 years in other times it takes a hundred and fifty years so the question is for any innovators like what am I going to look at in terms of an adoption curve because if I'm looking at hundred and fifty years I better figure this out with my family because you know I'm not gonna see the end of it they I hope my children or sure. their children well and so when you're dealing with adoption, you know, and, and investors are the same way. I'm not going to invest in this thing if it takes 50 years to pay off, you know, unless you're a government or something like that. So the, 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 the point is that when I when I looked at um, at this timing function for autonomy, I just felt it was going to take a lot longer because we hadn't yet gotten to the Eureka moment. The Eureka moment is when you actually say, hey, it works. We can take a ride anywhere. Or most of, like say, 80% of the journeys that I need to make, I can get into a vehicle. It goes any anywhere I need to go at uh, any time I needed to do so, and it's economical. That's a big question: Is it cheap enough? Uh, is it efficient? And finally, uh, is it uh, you know? So can I afford it? And finally, is it is it something that? Um, Uh, you know, has no driver, which is what the promise is. So then the entrepreneurs, the the real innovators here, not the inventors. Again, there's two different types of uh, questions here. The inventors are solving the technical problem. The innovators are solving a market problem. And the innovator is like, oh, you got something new here. Let me figure out how we can deploy it. And let me figure out a way to get billions of people to use it. That's a different question. The innovators have not gotten involved yet. The innovators don't have anything to work with. The thing has not been solved, and therefore they cannot begin to imagine how it can be used in anticipation of users understanding and accepting that pr- proposition from them. That has not had not even begun to be thought of in 2014, and it still hasn't begun to be thought of. Of course, Waymo's out there with an experiment, and so is everyone else. And by the way, these experiments cost billions of dollars. But there's another problem. This is kind of the exact opposite of the, of the electric car premise. The, the premise of autonomy is like we're gonna change the world in magical ways and just everything will be different and it'll be so much better and we're gonna throw away half of what we think and we know and so on and so on so this is the moonshot this is the this is the utopia this is the the thinking that, that will will just take giant leaps in, in, in and clay called call this cramming which is the idea that you know we'll wait and wait and wait until the thing is absolutely awesome and then wait just wait till that happens it's gonna be amazing and you keep waiting and waiting and mm. waiting and it never happens because this isn't the way things should be developed they shouldn't be developed with a Hail Mary pass or let's spend a trillion dollars for for a future that scientists believe will eventually happen it's great in theory but in practice things have to go about in the circuitous way in other words it's like you know stumbling along not really trying to you know hit a deliberate goal you're, you're gonna have to get there through a, a process of trial and error and that's because of the way human nature is in adoption and adoption and society and, and friction and, and conflict and, and dispute and everything else this is the legal process this is the regulatory process this is the 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 um, uh, you know the 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 ways that societies eventually you know and this is what what frustrates scientists and engineers all the time is like we've got the answer why aren't you taking it So my point is that we don't yet have the answer. We don't yet know how the process of deploying it. So for me, this was just a moot point. In in 2014, 15, 16, I I didn't want to wait for autonomy. I knew it would take 20 years. And and even the researchers now are saying, yeah, we're probably still not going to see it for a while. And I'm talking about level five and level four, by the way. So stepping, again, back through this, um, sort of a lot of memories here, um, and that left that left sharing, and finally that's where you came also into the space because you 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 know you saw that as the most immediate, the most exciting opportunity, and that and, and that's evident also by the fact that. Companies were born. I mean, this was not an innovation that required a whole lot of moonshots. This was not an innovation that required, you know, billions and billions of, of invested in cap, you know, capital investment like you would with the, you know, Tesla factories. This was like, hey, I'm gonna write an app and I'm going to, you know, invite people to use it. That's about all you needed to do to get started with sharing. And, you know, the enabling technology was GPS and mobile phones and smartphones, and that those were available in, in, in more or less everyone's hands. So that's what the premise was. Sharing was was off and running. Uber got going really fast. Actually, I thought about this even as early as 2010. I wanted to start. This is not public information, I think, but I wanted to start an, a, basically a, a taxi app of my own here in Helsinki, and I around about doing so, I certainly wanted to, you know, I, I envisioned what an app would look like. The problem was that I, I got feedback saying that, no, the taxi market is regulated. You can't just come in and, and you know, have yeah. an app that yeah. dispatch. And so the difference, this is why those guys are innovators and I wasn't. The innovators looked at this and they were not deterred by the fact that it was illegal what they were trying to do. Uh, in most markets, they also had probably like, well, we'll just go ahead and do it where where it's maybe gray zone, and we'll just keep plowing ahead. And that's again a distinction mm. between those who are very much focused on the on the on the problem and those who are focused on the customer um, and and sort of overcoming the problems that might might deter. Anyway, the point being that. This was not an, this was an obvious thing that needed to exist. This was a, a solution that was fairly easy to build and then it was just the, trying to slog through the, the the adoption curve, trying to fight your way through regulations and so on. The difference though is that the sharing idea to me had potential. Maybe the time frame was a little bit longer than people expected, but there would be a lot of these frictions and and issues with with uh, trying to get it so that everyone does it. I mean, it's it's one thing to use it for occasional trips, like maybe five to ten percent of all trips could be. Uh, yeah. uh, taken by share, uh, but it, it wasn't clear. And I remember you and I had this conversation early on, as I was asking, my, I was asking you, how quickly will Uber go into subscription model? Because the subscription model was going to be the way this 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 pivots into a a much more broad sustainable business and the logic being that totally yeah if you can pay 300 a month to uber instead of 300 a month to your you know finance company for your car then you know and, and then your promise would be like I can get you the same quality of service meaning instant response uh, go anywhere, from anywhere, um, and effectively you don't need a car anymore. Uh, and this was the promise that we were looking at, and I remember you telling me that uh, that Uber was thinking very much around this and was asking how what density of vehicles was necessary to deliver on that promise.
0: Yeah, it was, but I mean it, it, it ran into the, the problems that we, you know, we, we of course now understand in a lot more depth, which is just the marginal cost of production. For, each kilometer that a consumer is going to take yeah. ends up being so high that you can't offer a subscription model for anything that would be competitive to an existing car.
1: Yeah, and that's, 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 that's why paper. it wasn't good enough yet. The problem is as as a service, so car as a service, okay, wasn't yet good enough to be replacing car as a product. And it might still, you know, we might have to. And I was, I was obsessed about one question: is like, why are, isn't Uber also building its own car? Because I felt that that was one of the a piece of the puzzle. That they said, well, we'll just use off-the-shelf cars. I said, why? I said, why would, why wouldn't you design a car that was suitable for this? Because, frankly, from what I know about cars, these are not suitable to being fleet vehicles. These are not suitable for mm-hmm. for being uh, economically and efficient you know in terms of efficiency as good as they can be right to become a service you you know if you look at this the the, the analogy i had was like imagine the delivery truck from amazon coming or ups or whoever is delivering packages why they it not come in a in a in a pickup truck which is the most common consumer goods goods vehicle right it's uh, the pickup truck is not suitable for delivery it's it's extremely inefficient and so why do we think that a Toyota Prius is the right answer for personal transport of shared you know, service uh, uh, model versus, let's well, say, a Well, I remember you, know, you having
0: these conversations because I then subsequently had conversations with Uber and said, why don't we do this? And I remember talking to uh, some of our BD guys and they, they, they were like, well, we're about to spend a lot of money on built, you know, effectively what, what, what ended up becoming the Volvo partnership and it was you know it's hundreds of millions of dollars for cars that were not even that ended up having to be retrofitted the entire like they were mm. shipped off the line and then
1: Well oh, this is where gordon murray comes madman. in and this is where it, like you totally know, if totally. you start with a clean sheet of paper you you, you know you you can build taxi and you know, we we talked about what? why does london have unique taxis why does one city in the world have a dedicated vehicle for it that, that, that should be the case for every city. So why doesn't anybody copy the London taxi, which I think is a fantastic taxi. Now, also on top of that, why did the London taxi business actually have to disappear and reappear effectively it had gone bankrupt and then somebody else picked it up. So something's not working here. So the whole question of if you address the question of car service, car as a service, you have to address the entire picture, all the way to sourcing and manufacturing and distribution, fuel uh, type uh, uh, and and indeed autonomy. So it's almost like if you really want to solve the the problem that that, uh, Uber tried to solve, you have to look at the entire picture all over again in other words this was not a modular business anymore you can't just pick pieces off the shelf which is the way you start but it's not the way you can finish the way you should finish Mm -hmm. is like you really need to vertically integrate the entire auto industry in order to solve this problem of car as a service. So you have here we have the three candidates and, and the reasons why they, I didn't bet on them. Number one, it's sustaining, which is electric. Number two, it's too slow and it's not going to be efficient, you know, effectively quick enough to get the job done, which is number three, the, the autonomy. And finally back to number two, the sharing this, this is because it was modular when it needed to be integrated, and it couldn't, therefore, solve the problem effectively. So it's all three different no's to this question of, of like solving this. And only after all of this happened did I stumble, literally, stumble across an e-bike. Literally meaning, like, falling on top of one. Uh, you know, it, that's what I mean. It's, it's like, when I saw an e-bike, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute years spent looking at all this trying to understand the way forward for cars and why isn't anybody giving me you know <laughs> why didn't anybody tell me about this that was kind of the way to think well i
0: remember i remember sending you in 2013 when you had been talking about all this stuff the uh, the the graphs from China.
1: Yes, yes. Looking at well, okay. Wheelers. I'm being a little bit uh, a little bit dishonest. No, no. Here. I
0: don't. I, uh, just, I do want to claim it because I was. I felt so.
1: So I remember. People did send me... Says, yeah. It's 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 wrong to say that no one did. But it's it's why didn't I see it? You know, it's, you smack your head and you say, first of all, you've got yeah. yeah, plenty of data, but it's just you don't notice it. You you have the Chinese. Um, scooters or, or or motorcycles or or uh, cheap rural EVs you have the golf cars which in the US it's a big deal but they're the electric cars that they're not cars and then you have e-bikes which which and remember also segway and remember now in retrospect you know the the hoverboards the the um, uh, boosted boards all of these micro you know electric you know vehicle uh ve- even electric right, powered vehicles sequa, even.
0: i remember i remember it being a bit you know it's like you could see the potential it just it needed to be 10 times or 50 times cheaper and it needed to you know not yeah, be but, quite. But the,
1: the th- in order to even make assessments you need to see you need to see the option the option of micro mobility the option of tiny tiny vehicles getting moving people This option was always, the motorcycle had been around forever, it's just you don't think, it doesn't penetrate the consciousness and the analyst does not observe or even think. And today, this is still the case probably for 95% of the world. They don't see this as an option at all. You ask, how can you get to work? Nobody says, well, I could take an e-bike. They'll say, you know, I'm either going to drive or have an Uber, you know. or Mm-hmm. The problem is this idea of discovery, right? And this is why our perceptions are defined by uh, what we choose to see and what we choose not to see. Now there, it's there. You 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 know you you see bikes, and I sometimes joke about this. Like, the, when would German automakers decide to commit to micromobility? The you know. And the answer would be probably when the wives and children of the executives, or maybe I should say the the um, uh, spouses and children of executives, um, would would uh, would show, you know would would say would come in and out of the house using uh, an electric bike, or their own employees would be like abandoning their cars at home and then coming by 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 uh, by e-bike to work. And it, it doesn't matter the data they have access to; they'll have to see it with their own eyes, you know, in, in the form of people they know finally telling them. This is the usual adoption curve. The adoption curve is when you see someone else do something, you do it yourself. It's not an intellectual yeah. exercise. It's it's a it's a it's kind of an imitation exercise, and so this is why um the the i fell for it as well because i hadn't been observant enough and and so i once i saw the the uh uh, potential for these vehicles then again ravenously i grabbed all the data i could find and it was much much harder it's in fact still hard and possible in some cases to obtain the singular numbers that you need so let, let me point this out like if you if you said if you asked me today um, how many cars are made in the world? I could answer by by country, by by vehicle type, by you know whether you know are you asking for pickup trucks or SUVs or or hatchbacks? I all, all that's available. If I were to ask you, well, what are the micro what is the micromobility fleet out there? How many vehicles are being built? No idea. Nobody's tracking uh, specifically. You might, I mean, you might be able to get like the European e bike market fairly well. You know. Maybe the not every European country, it's been but nearly impossible to get US data no it's forget about and the US. is the most advanced economy in the world. you try to get it for Japan try to get it for I don't know Argentina. try to get it for for Indonesia and and you know these are countries with hundreds of millions of people. I mean, there are more population. You know, U.S. is four percent of the world in terms of population. So the, the the thing about trying to really get a global picture of not just because again the auto slice the auto data sliced it every possible way. Who makes it? What type is it? What fuel type is it? Where where is it made? You know, uh, uh, what is the price point? nothing like that exists for micromobility. We don't even agree what it is, you know, in terms of what are the types of vehicles and what, you know, what should we count as in or out. So that's extremely exciting. It's extremely exciting because then you know you're onto something that is potentially disruptive and this is this is again the, the litmus test for disruptability is unforeseeing uh, uh, unforeseeableness <laughs> i'm trying to think of the right word here no unforeseeableness uh, yeah yeah it can um, but it's like the 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 quality is 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 being unpredictable and no one no one agrees and there's dispute and 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 and, and, and there's gen- chaos reigns that is a way you know you're in a a space which is potentially disruptive. If everybody is very, 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 like, again, even in autonomy, remember, they stepped in and they had five different types of autonomy. They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to classify it. You know, here is level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, and everybody's setting standards. Oh, and the government's involved. And, oh, we're going to, you know, declare uh, uh, measures of performance. Like, oh, how many interventions are you getting? Oh, we're going to give you permits to operate all that implies that it exists all that implies that it's understood to some level about what it is and how to measure it and everything else people are agreeing on a lot of things in you you know that is not disruption disruption is when nobody agrees on anything it's invisible most people dismiss it if not laugh at it and it is and yet and yet it's here now and people are using it so they're dismissing the reality Whereas in the other case, they're accepting a fiction. They're accepting something that does not exist, as if it did. And now in this case, we're rejecting something that exists. It's under our nose. It's extremely obvious what the value would be. And they're saying, well, it's not really important, is it? So that, that, that is the mm. humility. You know, I, sometimes I say disruption is humility as a business model. And it's, it's, it's something I wish Clay would have said, but um, because, um, because I think he believed that, but it was perhaps too provocative to say so, you know. But it, it really is. If you want to make successful business, now there are other ways to make business besides humility, obviously, but if you want to start with that and say, gee, I wonder how I can monetize humility, this is your answer. And then you have to really get deep into understanding what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean when, when, you know, when? how do I get my hands around something like this? It's slippery. But anyway, I digress again. So the point about this then was I observed micromobility, finally opened my eyes, and I see it. It's all around us. I hadn't noticed it. And then I began to measure it, and I tried really, really hard. And I eventually settled on this question of trip distance because, I, you know, one of these things, and I did this in the micromobility Uh, Conferences, or or the very first ones, um, is is to sort of shed a light on the fact that trip distances are extremely important and and then, you know, get to Marchetti's constant. So, my trips are short. Yeah. So, I never, and here's the thing if you study automobility, as I did for years, I never stumbled on this question. I never even stumbled on the, Mm. on the, the correct question, which was like, how do people really move? how far do they move why do you choose one mode versus another what does traffic mean what is the impact of traffic on cities? so I began to have to think about cities I began to have to think about the psychology of movement and the in the history of movement and everything else and none of these questions presented themselves If you study automobility and this is the real value of sort of like shifting your perspective to micro it suddenly opened your eyes to seeing all these other problems so now i am surrounded because i've selected myself to do so but i'm surrounded by people telling me about cities i'm surrounded by people telling me about parking i never no one in automobility studies parking think about that nobody who studies the auto business studies parking because it is a given or, or whether we, yes, you know... it's assumed. It's assumed.
0: Yeah, no, no, 100%. It's so frustrating when I have these conversations with anybody who where, where, we, where you're talking about transport systems or government funding behind infrastructure for things that would make sense for micromobility. Nobody ever questions parking. In actual fact, the fact that you're trying to take away car, car parking... It's just like you
1: and, are, and and not only time. that but that if you pull on that thread you realize oh but parking is real estate oh but parking is permits parking is decisions about made at the city level and parking is about you know regulations that you have to have minimums or maximums and my god you realize then it's, it's all about the real estate and what is the cost of real estate so you start to think about real estate and you would never do that unless you're Finally, pivoting your perspective, your point of view on the on the whole problem. So this is why you begin with questions of energy and questions of transport. And if you follow automobility, you start to count metal and you start to count, you know, batteries and you start to count factories and you start. To count. But if you turn your attention to micromobility, you start to count miles. You start to count distances. You start to count perhaps smiles, as I said, you know, you move towards the psychology of transport, you start to think about can you redirect people instead of getting them A to B, you start to ask maybe they should go to C. And you start to do all these different things that you never would if you went into the other space. So. Back to your key question: It's like, why is micromobility still interesting? It is extremely interesting because it allows you to see the world completely differently. It allows you to evaluate, and whether you are an engineer, an innovator, or you are uh, a policymaker, or you, you suddenly, and you know, politician, as 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 uh, uh, Joe, Joe uh, Biden put out put it on you know um, um, on stage, micromobility, you start to think about as it as a solution to to global problems and now with the pandemic you know you throw that out the whole thing and into it and it's like what does the pandemic do well probably it's 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 sustaining to the auto industry it just absorbs and moves on but it actually could accelerate also micromobility and you, you know it does both at the same time just like the internet could you know accelerate you know incumbents and disruptors but the the point about the you know i think this this pandemic is it has opened the eyes and this was my point in the um um in in the keynote i i i I gave a few weeks ago is that pandemic opens people's eyes to this opportunity a lot more of those 95 percent of people who have never considered it some of them will start to consider it um and and so it's it's an accelerant um it's a catalyst but the I think the, the the question of micromobility and how it came to pop into my head and how it, you know it changed my perspective and changed also uh, a lot of people and and by the way you know it all happened somewhat simultaneously that everybody around the world I didn't have to preach about it a lot of people picked up the idea and ran with it without having any input from me and I think that's also a demonstration that. That it's a good idea whose time has come, and 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 yes. then I started to think about also the enablers for it, and I you know I mentioned the big five enablers: um, the mobile phone, the GPS network, the cellular network, the uh, the, the, the lithium ion battery, and um, uh, the um, uh, sorry, I just I forgot it's if I complementary. Yeah, and the, and the 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 pieces that make up. Yeah, the, the apps that, that allow everything to be tied together and all these things, these were not developed or invented for micromobility. They were invented for a completely different applications and then simply they were picked up off the shelf, reassembled in and reconfigured, plus capital flowed in. And again, we went from no adoption of kind of micromobility shared services or, or e-bikes, if you want to talk about owned, serv- or owned product or scooters also both shared and owned, if you look at the adoption of those technologies of those services and relative to electric cars sharing or, or autonomy in terms of their S-curves, like, you know, literally how many people on the planet use these things as a percentage of the addressable market, you see just how quickly these things, how and many, how, many, how many, you know, moonshots were needed to make micro mobility how many moonshots how many and yet how many people are actually employed and how many people are actually on the street doing this it's incredible to see the the you know grassroots nature and and you know here i am in helsinki and, and literally a year and a half ago spring 2019 there were zero scooters no one had ever even seen one and now i look literally look out my window and i can see one go by and they're everywhere now yeah. they're everywhere they they they're also and same with the bikes
0: those are the crap versions of the scooters i mean when you think about it yeah it's but, like,
1: but it's the, accepted the it's normal owned scooter
0: experience is so much is so much better and i just feel like there's going to be so many people who just go You know what, actually, a shared one, they were fine. They were like, that was like trying a payphone or trying a a mobile phone that you could rent. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you,
1: yeah. It's a complete change in the landscape and and the, and now, maybe in the first few months, people are like, whoa, what the heck, what are these? And maybe if people tried. By the way, interesting data point I just read, 40%, they did a study, I think, in Canada, 40% of all injuries from uh, micromobility, particular scooters, I think they were studying, uh, where 40% were in the first ride, which, you know, it makes you think a little bit. It makes you think, though, in, the, in terms of like, oh, it's dangerous. Well, it's dangerous if you don't know how to use it. And so if you can train, that this actually speaks to a, 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 a present danger and an opportunity, which is people who are... You know, the the entrepreneur or the founder or the innovator here, if I if I may call call it again, um, is 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 has sort of had to prioritize. What do we worry about, and what we don't worry about? So one of the things they haven't worried about early on was safety. And in particular, education, if you think about what it takes to drive a car, you have to go take lessons, you have to often uh, uh, practice for quite some time, and then you get your driver's license, so you have the government approval, Um, and then even then, you're really dangerous, and so you're paying a premium in insurance as a young driver. So, oh, society has worked out how to deal with onboarding people onto car driving, right? There's a, there's a whole process, and it takes years for someone to become, a, a you know, an experienced driver. And even then, they're still dangerous to a large degree. Now, with scooters, we haven't even thought about education. We haven't even thought about, okay, should we have kind of a permit or should we have and this sounds onerous but that's also a sign that you grew up that that's a sign that you've you've been accepted I you know I point out the fact that when it comes to High-speed e-bikes or S-Pedelec, uh, you need a driver's license, you need a license plate, you need an insurance, and you need a helmet, and you need a mirror, you're treated like a proper member of society in a, in a way, you know, that it, it's not a toy, it's, it's, a, it's a motor vehicle, even though it looks like a bicycle, it looks 100% like a bicycle, and it has a slightly marginally more powerful motor. Than, than the human legs, slightly, okay? It's, it's 500 watts, and a good cyclist can actually output 500 watts, not in sustained manner, but still, it's not that powerful. You know, I don't know what the horsepower would be, but it's less than one for sure. So, the, 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 yep. the point is that, even that, less than one horsepower vehicle is is regulated as a motor vehicle, and yet we don't think about regulation, we don't think about safety yet on these motorized vehicles. And now, should we or shouldn't we? That's a, that's a different debate, but the point being that when, when you see how early it is, and you just see the data's just now being obvious, it's like saying, you know, it's 1920, people say, hmm, who gets into accidents? Well, let's find out. You know, let's let's go into the hospitals and find out what are the what are the injuries that people sustain when driving? Maybe we should think about seat belts. Well, that didn't happen for 40 years. Or maybe we should think about uh, you know glass that doesn't uh, 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 you know that doesn't kill you if you if you hit it with your head, which is you know uh, effectively the the uh, the safe pre-safety glass. Now a lot of innovations that occurred in safety in in sustainable you know uh, safe transport took decades. After the the invention and only because of you know uh, uh, intervention from outside, effectively. So so on the scooter question, yeah, we're still in the chaotic early stage. It's it's um, there. You know, the, many people will say, well, COVID probably impacted sharing um, very badly, and it, it certainly did. But we see owned micromobility taking off. Will that flip back? I don't know. We'll have to see how people react in general to. To return to normalcy if there is one Um, Mm. but generally speaking this is a great idea this is a great idea to make a a vehicle that 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 is suited for one person as opposed to you know the 3,000 pounds or 2,000 kilo uh, you know uh, uh, monster that we we've we've been building since uh, to, to move one person around so it's 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 my it's my I, I, nothing's changed in that regard i think more and more yeah so i was
0: gonna ask you if we've got we've got you know a little bit of time left so so what is the things that you you saw and thought would happen when you first when we first started right the podcast?
1: good good question uh, so so here were my dreams versus what yeah, yeah, yeah. so a couple my of predictions a couple of predictions we need to re. One, I felt that uh, the adoption and this is the the jury still out, but there was an exponential adoption rate, uh, meaning that we would be seeing you know ten times more every year. Uh, so I think you called it dead use law actually, so the idea that you know yes. we, we would see that growth now obviously that has not happened, but the question is whether the pandemic or other factors have impeded it. One of the factors that would impede it by the way, would be the amount, um, amount of capital. That would be spent because you need a you know an exponential rise in vehicles in order to sustain an exponential rise in rides, and so the vehicle fleets uh, it, if the if the capital gets turned off and I, I am hearing that there's been very few deals going through for the last uh six to nine months um certainly not new money coming into micromobility but i don't think in the shared micro yeah 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 i think shared micro has been
0: yeah they're they're really hurting
1: (laughs) they're hurting on the capital side and that that will affect that adoption curve so um, I don't think that demand, ha- well, and the demand side. So there's supply and demand. So the supply side is is hampered by lack of investment. The the demand side is hampered by the you know people being less likely to travel or, or get around and maybe more anxious about using anything shared. But if anyone's been hurt there, it's been transit. You know you know transit has just been a c- catastrophe. But th- no one's saying yet that we're going to get rid of public transit, though, are they? Um, so that didn't plan out that didn't pan out that's one one of the one of the questions out there as far as you know is micro dead or is it suffering because we didn't see exponential growth in uh, of either fleets or vehicle or 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 rides um, the second thing, uh, the thesis on Micro was that we would see very fast turns in terms of product development, meaning that there would be new scooters every few months. Uh, you, you know, and I posited it would be more like a smartphone on wheels, which gets updated every year. So, you know, Apple just did a new iPhone. No surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Apple, you know, the iPhone mm-hmm. 12 just shipped, it's it's, it's 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 12 times in a row they've done this every year. Um, so would that happen for Micro where we would see, you know, the cadence of product releases being every uh, six months to a year. And it more or less did happen again, up until the pandemic hit. Um, we also saw uh, a Cambrian explosion in, in vehicles uh, and, and in firms doing this work. And so we we are now, we're seeing already, remember like a year ago, everyone was saying that the scooter market belongs to two players. Uh, they were yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, um, no, sorry. Bird and line. Bird and line? Uh, no, 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 no. On the service, on the, on the, on, the, on uh, yes, bird and line on service, but also on the um, um, hardware. Oh, like Okai and Segway. Well, at the time it wasn't Okai though. Uh, it was Segway and um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking out on the, the the other Chinese company. It was it, Xiaomi. Xiaomi it was it was
0: a, oh well yeah effectively the same company so yeah
1: well that's the point though isn't it that we are seeing a, a pivoting and and proliferation of hardware companies we are seeing proliferation of of service companies as well so there isn't a monopoly, if you will, emerging very quickly on this, um, and it is a local business. Yes. Yes. and so one of the things also that characterizes an early industry is that you you go through. Uh, there is a consolidation phase, but you also have a proliferation phase, and the the uh, you know the the problem again is with the pandemic. Is like uh, this really throws your 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 trajectory. Just a quick point of of note, though, is that the auto industry did not have a smooth run either. Throughout its formative years, we had two world wars, and we had a depression. And so the adoption curve for the auto is a little bit, not a little bit, it's very, very um, uneven. Normally it's a smooth S-curve, mm-hmm. but in the US, which actually started earliest, it was an S-curve and then it was flattened out during the depression and, and the war, and so it then picked up again post-war. in Europe. It didn't pick up until after the wars, and um, except in the UK and France where there was sort of an interwar period of growth. But it wasn't smooth at all. And again, this, these, these types of events, wars and depressions, economic depressions, are, are far more cataclysmic than what we're experiencing now. These were really existential mm-hmm. questions, right? So um, the 20th century was by no means... Uh, smooth sailing for, for for this, and yet we still continued. Um, and and so my, my point is that although the theory says that you have an S curve of a certain duration, there are events which can occur that will delay the the curves continuing. Uh, and so this is why this is this is problematic to 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 kind of still gauge the timing. We may be looking at a delay of one or two years on the previous forecast. But, again, a lot of people are still very, very positive on it. And look, what we're seeing on the positive side, we're seeing the UK accelerating the adoption by effectively uh, approving the, the vehicle types. We're seeing uh, Europe, uh, you know, spending billions on, on infrastructure for micro. Uh, we're seeing Paris, among other cities, effectively deprecating the car more, more aggressively than before uh, with the removal of parking, the removal of uh um, uh, you know access on roads so lanes effectively um and and the building more and more of, of, of uh, uh bike bike uh, infrastructure so a lot of that is happening uh, in an accelerated fashion thing, uh,
0: yeah I mean I, I hear you about the vehicle i I've been surprised at how it feels like it's slower than it could or should be you know uh, especially on the heavier stuff but maybe that uh, you know our right. so, so po- point yeah my probability yes. mm. is like it's it's a bigger vehicle it'll be slower to evolve
1: yeah. and that's the thing exactly so the 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 stuff that moves quick is actually the scooter bikes slightly slower but still pretty quick but then if you go to three four wheels you realize how much things start to slow down so that was one of the other bets is like we would see Fill in between the 50 kilogram and the 500 kilogram points in my spectrum.
0: Yeah, right. I want my cabin motorbike
1: (laughs) Yes, I want my Schaeffler uh, bio hybrid Um, and by the way that company uh, You know Schaeffler has spun off that that product trying to figure out how to take it to market Um, Mm. But there's you know, but there's a lot going on in cargo bikes so there's a kind of like a mixed bag. Cargo bikes are booming, right? And cargo bikes are the SUV of this industry, and they're also sort of like the the one mode that actually women are adopting more quickly than men because it's 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 a child carrier, right? It's a child uh, transport uh, vehicle for mm-hmm. school runs, and it's a shopping vehicle. Uh, so super pragmatic. It's not about flexing your 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 ego, and and so hence you know the cargo bike is a is a is a is a, is a kind of a sleeper hit. But, you know, yes, are we seeing commercial use of cargo bikes more and more? I think we will. And I think, you know, what, what's going to catalyze that would be the delivery business, which is booming as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, food delivery, package delivery, urban delivery, all these things are, are, I think, are no-brainers. I think Amazon needs to step up here and, um, and catalyze this whole industry as well. Uh, they would stand to benefit a great deal moving to micro uh so so again it's a mixed bag you you know you have like what where's my schaeffler biohybrid? but then wow i see cargo bikes more than ever i see people using trailers on bikes a lot more than ever when i was when my son was like three four years old and we first took him to preschool not at three i think that started a bit later <laughs> but uh when we i used uh, a trailer you know one of those baby sized uh, uh, trailers actually could fit two children in it and i was the only person i think in the whole city that had one of these things you are such a nerd i know but this was was like 10 years ago and it was and now i see them everywhere now mommies are pulling (laughs) their children everywhere on these things or or you know loading them in the front and so on and this was something maybe only the dutch would do and suddenly now Again, everyone's doing it. So, a lot of stuff happening. Uh, you know, I just saw data on the, in, in in Finland in Helsinki. Like, you know, we're seeing a doubling of uh, of private car. Uh, pro, sorry, private bike use. Um, and and okay, yep. the victim happens to be transit right now. But and we, you know, you sort of aim at the car and you hit transit. That's kind of too bad. But um, but there are you know, we'll see how things evolve.
0: But well, I feel like that stuff like. If that happens, then more people will bike because they feel safer. Right, if and it's, it's not... So there's it's, some aspect of like safety and numbers and all that sort of thing.
1: Well, there's one thing also about this analysis which is so problematic because we, think to, we tend to think of cause and effect. We tend to think of single causes. We tend to think that A implies B. But in fact, the reality of, the, of a lot of these adoption curves is that there's actually a, a multitude of, of causes. Uh, so it's multi-causal, and then you're not quite sure um, uh, what caused that particular. You can't make that definitive statement. So you say, well, if this and, this and this and this and this and this are true, then the result occurs. So the problem with 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 this. With even this this microanalysis, you already can see some obvious candidates for causality, like okay, we need bike lanes and we need vehicles and we need services and we need product and we need we need capital. All these things must certainly be true. But there may be other things where we're not fully aware of, I think the big, uh, the big invisible elephant in the room, if you will, is the, uh, is, is psychology of users. Uh, it, it, it's, it's whether, you know, also whether, you know, male or female have a more of a tendency to use this because of, of fundamental jobs to be done. And so there's, there's a lot of unknowns on the psychology side of what's happening here. I mentioned even this point of training and certification and getting people to, you know, go through some modicum of, of, uh, of preparation before they take the first trip, which might result in an injury. Obviously, so there's there's a lot of things that we are not sure. Like, what if somebody popped in with a, a training program or uh, popped in with a you know incentive program to give give people some some comfort level, right? To to hop on this thing. What if it was what if, what if the incentives were different? And maybe your first ride is free, or your first ten rides are free if you you know accept this coupon or. All kinds of innovations that could occur that could catalyze because one of the things, of course, remember that retrospective on the the PC and the the phone and all these things. If you go back in time of those early years, you realize how interesting the innovation was really in the terms of adoption. So one of the things in a cell phone we almost forget about is what about mobile operators giving you uh, subsidies on the purchase of the device? and now we're like mm-hmm. well obviously and now it's maybe starting up again with 5g and the iphone 5g but it's like suddenly the operators are stepping up and saying what if i spend a few billion dollars to adopt get people to jump onto the 5g bandwagon and that's a big catalyst right and that's kind of a, a thing also about micro is like and these, these seem like there's there's they they are games people play they're like you know tricks they're they're things that are designed to somewhat deceive let's say from the from the full picture but mm-hmm. that's exactly what innovation is is to figure out the tricks mm-hmm. the tricks to get people to do things that they didn't would normally do and finally getting the 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 snowball effect and the uh, adoption to happen quickly that's the that's the magic of innovation you know as specifically as opposed to Invention, which is a more technical challenge. Uh, This is a psychological challenge. And so I I don't want to suggest, you know, because I think this is a really hard thing. And by the way, it's also a a, a team effort. Uh, Innovation is something that's done by by individuals but also, you know, made possible by many people doing uh, similar things in parallel because it's a trial and error process. So when you have, effectively, in uh, new, new industries, you have a thousand failures for every success, but those thousand failures are not wasted. Those failures signal to all the other players of things that do not work and therefore you don't have to try it again. Yes. And so this is why it's never a waste to try something and fail. You've all you you you've learned something, but the world learned something too. And and that's that's hopefully if they can see it. If they can see it, if it's communicated, if it's a fact. But you know, so for example, the negative result in science is extremely important because it is communicated and is it's important for 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 scientists to to publish negative results, right? And and so this is this is why in, in business we tend not to not to publish, you know, or not to uh, uh, signal too much about the negatives, um, unless they're big failures, and then everybody wants to know. But uh, but that's that's the process. You know, it's a process of innovation and adoption. It's one of of, of of trial and error. It's a lot of pain involved. But everybody's moving because they still see opportunity. It's drawing them to doing something. You know, the whole. Idea of entertainment and development of, of movies and television. You realize how much of that is trial and error, and how many failures occur, and everything else. It's the same thing, and but you end up with some masterpieces at the end, right? Um, and so, mm-hmm. so that's the that's the human condition. That is the way we move forward, and we do so. Uh, over and over and over again and it just doesn't stop. There's a great book out there called um, uh, How to Fly a Horse. It's about the creative process. The, the author argues that it's an innate, an innate need that people have to create. It's not like, oh, geez, you know, uh, somebody better pay me i want to sit down and create people do it whether they're paid mm-hmm. or not and they would do it whether in jail or 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 free they do it whether you know their children or their adults or whether they're old. you know uh, in the you know in their last years it's a natural condition so i i just think that that um uh you know just to your original question about mobility and you know it is the one thing that's Causing us to move forward as a society that pulls us into a future that that is um, uh, a better one, I think, and that's 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 why it's so exciting, and so this is why you, you want to be in it uh, today. It's it's uh, it's the most exciting thing going on, I think, in transportation, in energy, um, mm. and uh, and and it will really have an impact, not just because we want to be virtuous, it's just because it's it makes good sense.
0: Yep well i'm glad we have sat again in the the church of did you uh and been uh, and received the sermon so thank you oh <laughs> uh, look no no this is great this was i i'm really glad that we've had a chance to go back and revisit it because it is one of these things i think that we oftentimes get kind of caught up in is the 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 sort of um uh it's almost the assumptions or the you know the day-to-day of what it looks like uh, on the ground right now with everything that's going on in the space and and i think it's always good to go back and sort of ask the questions of how we got here and then also you know other uh, things that we were thinking about before how have they changed and, wh- yeah. and what are we seeing so um hey thank you thank you for your uh, intellectual honesty and 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 also for, uh, thank you for entertaining us yet again